The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I am your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins from the Society of St. Pius V and pastor of Immaculate Conception Church in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. Hello, Tom. Father, tonight we, uh, we just recently received an excellent question that I would like to bring up and have you address tonight concerning Francis. So mm -hmm. this viewer writes in and says, Do you think that Francis is leading souls to hell, or rather is he just confused and, and confusing others? Do you think that he is just teaching or passing on what has been taught, actually never being instructed in the traditional Catholic religion himself? Mm. How would you answer that? Well, this is just an impression. Mm -hmm. um, what, he, what he's teaching is definitely of the world, not of God, not of heaven. Okay. Right. Uh, the consequence of that, our Lord himself said in St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, when he called the one he just named Simon Barjona, Peter, the rock, Peter began arguing with our Lord that he will not be crucified, and our Lord said to him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for right. thou art a scandal to me, for thou mindest not the things of God, but the things of man. Mm -hmm. And I would say that it's definitely true of Francis, okay? That he definitely is consumed with even obsessing about the things of man. He does not obsess about the things of God. He, uh, I, I don't know that he ever really talks about saving souls. Um... I, I don't recall, uh, you know, ever having him mention the question of saving souls, going to heaven with a beatific vision, and so it's all about the world. But that is consistent with the writings of all of these post-Vatican II popes. Actually, uh, John Paul the uh, John the Twenty Third, Paul the Sixth, uh, John Paul the Second, Benedict Sixteenth. They all write about the same. They write about the things of the world, how to have a more just world. They're obsessing about the things of the world. Right. You know? In that regard, they're giving scandal, they're leading people away from heaven, and they're definitely leading them in the direction of hell. There's no doubt about it. That's what modernism does. The church condemned it for a very good reason, okay? And they are modernists. Um, you know, to judge the interior dispositions of the mind of Francis is another matter. Because, well, it, it's difficult because at times he's, he really does appear so mindless. He sounds so mindless, you know. And um, I say that not as, a, as an, a, an attack or insult, but really, I mean, he, he, it sounds basically irrational. It's one of the things he says. Even some of the witticisms he makes seem so nonsensical, you know. Um, the, uh, the Masons... Um, outlined a plan in Italy back in the early 1800s to infiltrate the Catholic Church, uh, notably the clergy, work their way up the ranks uh, to become bishops and finally cardinals and, and finally have the strength necessary to elect a pope. Uh, now Nubius, um, whose name is on the, the document of what we know, now know as the permanent instruction of the Alta Vedita, mm -hmm instructed that uh, we don't want to elect a Mason as the Pope because he would know too much. Um, but we want to, first of all, create a generation of, of people 
who think like we do and choose from the ranks of that group that are all just infatuated with the ideas of the Freemasons. <clears throat> we want to choose someone who will be the, the supreme pontiff um, of the Catholic Church and um, who will think like a good Mason and speak like a good Mason. He'll speak the thoughts of Masonry, speak the doctrines of Masonry, and uh, do the works of Masonry. And uh, what Nubius said in that document is that we, we, he, the Masons would have conjured up a revolution in Tiara and Cope, you know, the papal uh, regalia. And uh, this, uh, this, this Masonic or this Masonic thinking pontiff would lead the church off in the direction, uh, you know, as a, as a band of, as an army of revolutionaries to set on fire the four corners of the, of the earth with revolution, he says. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, that's exactly what these post-conciliar posts have done. This is what Francis is doing. Uh, the revolution, though, is a revolution um, against God, against God's laws, and uh, turning, uh, trying to turn the entire church uh, around 180 degrees to worship the world. Um, one thinks of the, uh, the, the book of the Apocalypse, uh, where they talk about the great beast that comes out of the sea, but he also has a lesser beast, a dragon, a, uh, and uh, that, uh, that is one who has a lamb's horn signifying he represents church. Mm-hmm. And he's calling, uh, you know, in his voice, with ecclesiastical voice, as it were, uh, for, the, for the faithful of the world to worship the first beast. Um, the great beast, you know, and I, and I believe Francis is absolutely doing that. <clears throat> that he is calling uh, everyone, those left of the Catholic faithful, or those who are trying to be, uh, to actually worship at the altar of the world, worship at the altar of the great beast. You know? mm-hmm. So uh, the question is, is he doing this deliberately? I don't know. Uh, the fact that Nubius wrote that we can't choose a member of the Masonic order itself, just someone who thinks like us, and it could be an indication that they simply found someone like that in Francis, that he, um, that he, uh, you know, was uh, born of immigrants uh, to uh, uh, Buenos Aires, Aires uh, in Argentina. His parents heralded from Italy, mm-hmm. and this might be what he learned as Catholicism. In other words, the man might be really very grossly ignorant of the teachings of the Catholic faith. I mean, he himself says that he, as a young boy, served the the Latin Mass, right. the true Mass. Right. He even makes fun of it. He even jokes about uh, mocking the prayers, right? Uh, mimicking, uh, saying nonsense things in Spanish to sound enough like Latin to confuse the priest right. or to deceive the priest. And he and his buddy serving with him would have... Make a, have a lot of fun and a good laugh over that mm. during the serving of the liturgy. Yep. He even wrote that to a young Italian boy. Right. That's the talk about scandal. In his right? children's book, right? <clears throat> In the children's book. Right. Right. So I mean, that has no sense at all. No reverence. He's completely without a, a shred of reverence. Mm-hmm. Uh, completely without a shred of dignity, apparently. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and uh, certainly, uh, you know, it's just like a living, breathing scandal. Mm-hmm. Um, how cavalierly he treats things that are, should be sacred. But the, the, there doesn't appear to th- be anything 
sacred to him, against, except perhaps um, people being happy and enjoying uh, a good laugh. Mm -hmm. uh, even the, the liturgy, he wants to be a big party. Yep. Everybody has to have a good time. That's the essential thing. So um, it, I, I tend to think, actually, if, uh, that he, he just is so completely devoid of knowledge uh, of the Catholic faith, devoid of any sense of piety uh, for things sacred, <clears throat> uh, that this comes very naturally to him. Um, is he plotting to destroy the church? Uh, I think he is, in the sense that I think he... He, I think he has a real contempt, almost a loathing for the church as she had been mm -hmm. before Vatican II. He speaks with great disgust of the church as it had been before. And I think he is on a mission now to ram Vatican II through to its logical, fatal conclusions for the Catholic Church. <clears throat> um, he wants to create something totally of this world, and totally of Francis, too. He makes such... Um, awful comments, blasphemous comments about the Blessed Mother, about God the Father, about the Blessed Trinity, and uh, even, uh, in some cases, uh, making a, a joke out of it. You know? In some cases, he's serious. Yeah. Uh, he see, appears to be, whenever he can be serious. But he says something outrageous, like the Blessed Mother was filled with rage at God, right. you know, because God, the Father double-crossed her and mm -hmm. tricking her to be, into becoming the Son, yeah. uh, the mother of His own divine Son, Jesus, our Lord. He seemed to be serious about that. Um, he seemed to be serious when he said that after, when our Lord had stayed behind in the temple at the age of 12 years old and let his parents start a day's journey back to Nazareth, mm -hmm. that he had a lot of explaining to do because his parents were going to be really upset with him. <laughs> Um, and um, he was in, in hot water, you know. I mean, as though they knew nothing, as though the Blessed Mother really knew nothing even of his divine person or of his divine mission. Um, this, is, this is outrageous. Um, how could anyone say that um, with a straight face, without the expectation of enraging those who are offended by seeing attacked what they love mm -hmm. and what they revere. Mm -hmm. um, unless he was doing it deliberately to revoke them. I, I don't know. Right. Father, I, I believe in the last program I, I uh, referenced and, and paraphrased a passage from The Imitation of Christ where Thomas Kempis says, that man judges the, the actions while God weighs the intentions. Mm. I think that that perfectly applies here. So we cannot obviously judge Francis's interior dispositions. We don't know his intentions. So we, it's not for Only us. Only insofar as he manifests them. Right. But we, we, we can't be the, the judge there and say that, that he's, uh, that he, that he's, uh, whatever, pur purposely mm. doing this or whatever. We don't know his interior positions. But I think he's made it clear, though, that he intends to annihilate the church as it was. Right. And uh, kind of, shall we say, recreate the church mm -hmm. in his own image and likeness. Right, but like 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 Thomas Aquinas says, uh, man judges the the exterior mm. actions, and whereas Francis says, "Who am I to judge? I can't mm. judge this." Mm. It's actually our duty as Catholics to judge the the exterior actions of mm. people because we have nothing else to go by. Obviously, like Francis says, if if he were mm. to apply this to their interior position 
disposition, then yes, we cannot judge that because only God can be the judge of someone's interior disposition. Mm. But as far as their their uh, exterior actions that they actually perform that are manifested, yeah. we have it, it's our Catholic duty to judge those actions. Mm. And so it's it's objectively true that Francis's teachings are necessarily lead people to hell. So whether mm. or not he's doing this intentionally doesn't really matter. The simple fact mm. is that his teachings, if one follows them, will 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 land them in hell. And so. I think that, that it's our Catholic duty to judge his actions. And we, and have, we have to, to denounce them mm-hmm. for what they are. That's true. Yeah. I mean, uh, you're right here there. If he had the, if the question were, uh, is Francis deliberately setting out to uh, attack the church and lead someone to hell? Mm-hmm. Uh, those are kind of two different questions in a sense that uh, he has made it very clear that his intention is to do away with the church as she wants. Sure. He's going to finish her off, mm-hmm. actually, um, by replacing her with the creation of Vatican II. Mm-hmm. Um, but if the question were this, well, is he doing that um, mistakenly? Uh, does he actually think that he's doing a good thing, or is he doing it with uh, manifest, you know, with, with clearly evil intentions? Does he realize what I'm doing here is a horrible crime and a blasphemy and a sacrilege? And, and so, on. well, that—that's we can't right. judge that. Right. And let's see where to come out and say, look, I know this is a, yeah. an attack on God, an attack on souls. I know it will lead souls to hell. And that's exactly what I'm intending. Mm-hmm. Well, that's another matter. But then he has externalized it, and yeah. that's what you're saying. He's done everything short of come out and say that. Everything short of that. <laughs> yeah. But if yeah. he were to come out and pronounce what his intentions yeah. are, then we'd have to mm-hmm. judge that. But regardless, I mean, if someone takes a, a firearm, aims it at someone's chest. Um, actually has loaded it, right, with a shell, a live shell, and uh, is ready to pull the trigger, you can discern, regardless of what that person's deep, deep, deep down intentions are, that this person uh, means to do some serious injury or uh, worse to another person. And you have to intervene and stop it. Mm -hmm. And so it is with Francis. uh, uh, He's... uh, He's actually in his own mind anyway on some kind of an anti-crusade sure to um destroy the church as she as she is as she has been the true church and replace her with something completely alien and hostile Mm -hmm. to true faith to to god to salvation Mm -hmm. so we we have to oppose it you're absolutely right and and father i think this leads uh naturally to the question of state of evangelism And we have a writer here who, who sends in a quote from uh, con- the Fourth Council of Constantinople, which I would like you to react to here as I read this. Uh, so he quotes, As divine scripture clearly proclaims, do not find fault before you investigate and understand first and then find fault. And does our law judge a person without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? Consequently, this holy and universal synod justly and fittingly declares and lays down that, there's emphasis here, no lay person or monk or cleric should separate himself from communion with his own patriarch before a careful inquiry and judgment in synod. Even if he alleges that he knows of some crime perpetrated by his patriarch, and he must not refuse to include his patriarch's name during the divine mysteries or offices. If anyone shall be found denying this holy synod, he is to be debarred from all priestly functions and status if he is a bishop or cleric. 
If a monk or a layperson, he must be excluded from all communion and meetings of the church until he is converted by repentance and reconciled. So, Father, this is a quote from Pope Adrian in the Fourth Council of Constantinople. And this viewer asks if this if this quote does not put the Society of St. Pius V in some hot water for no, their position. No, it doesn't apply. It okay. does not apply in any way. Why not? Well... You know, I'd like to see the context in which this is written. This is re responding to a situation in the church, obviously. And I'd like to see the context of it. But I'll tell you, just on the basis of what you read there, all right, they say if you, if you know a personal crime that the individual is, that makes him personally unworthy, mm -hmm. that you can't disassociate yourself and, and, you know, cut yourself off from him. Well, that, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about manifest crimes against the faith. And, you know, Pope Adrian is talking about uh, careful inquiry. Well, we have 2,000 years of Catholic tradition here, which has condemned what they're doing. Yeah. Absolutely condemned at every turn what these people are doing here. Yeah. So talk about careful inquiry. We have the entire testimony of the church, her hierarchy, her magisterium, the testimony of her saints, right? Mm -hmm. Her ordinary and extraordinary magisterium, mm -hmm. uh, condemning what these people have done. I, I don't know what this man, what more he wants. I mean, yeah. or Lee, if, if the idea is we're supposed to get together the modernists and ask for their permission mm -hmm. <clears throat> uh, to oppose them mm -hmm. and to carry on the traditional faith, mm -hmm. I, I'm sorry, but that's mm -hmm. that's nonsense. And Father, it's, I, I, it's I would like to I'd like to point out that this this <clears throat> is this is a crisis like the church has never faced before. So when they call for this synod and careful inquiry and all these things. How are we supposed to do that when the very crisis is of the authority of the church? That that's can, that's that the crisis, really precisely my point, Tom. Yeah. In other words, uh, you know, you get people who are <clears throat> nitpicky mm -hmm. on things that are, are, are missing the large question today. Mm -hmm. I mean, the church is in crisis, and she's in a crisis because of modernism. Modernists have, have wormed their way in, and they've gotten into control, and they're promoting themselves sort of like a disease they've gotten into a body, mm -hmm. and they're... they're <clears throat> um, uh, they're multiplying and they're shutting down the organs. They're trying to kill kill the yeah. person. And uh, the fact is, we're doing what, if you look back in history, Catholics have always done in times of crisis. They've simply carried on the faith and not been deterred by anybody mm -hmm. <clears throat> who would dare tell them, who would presume to tell them, you can't practice the Catholic faith anymore because I'm telling you, you have to accept my new religion. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> the church has condemned... Precisely what the modernists have done. Right. <clears throat> and all we're doing is pointing that out. That's a fact. Mm -hmm. In all of her synods, mm -hmm. in all of her provincial councils, in all of her ecumenical councils, right. the church has condemned what the, what the modernists have done. We're just following that, that's all. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, but uh, I guess I don't have enough patience with the, the, the kind of short-sightedness uh, that, that wants to say, oh, look, you know, here's something canon law says about, about obedience, and you say, well, wait a minute, no. You're, you're basically citing something that says keep off the grass when, when the, the house is on fire, the house is burned down, <laughs> and uh, you want those who would try to put the fire out to, to not to step on the grass because mm -hmm. of the science, get off the grass. Yeah. Well, the church does have laws that, you know, there, there's God's, there are God's laws and there are ecclesiastical laws. And just as there's a hierarchy of God's laws, as our Lord said, the great commandments and the lesser commandments, so there's a hierarchy of church laws, you know. Mm -hmm. And they're the fundamental principles of church laws from which the other laws derive. And they're pointing at a law down here, so, and, and if you follow what they're saying here, you're not allowed to 
follow the higher laws of the church mm -hmm. that the church has always demanded her Catholic people follow. Mm -hmm. So um, there's just a certain, a certain, um, as I say, short-sightedness of people mm -hmm. that uh, they they just can't bring themselves to face the fact that the church is in crisis and why and what is necessary to do about mm -hmm. it. In fact, we have to do what our Catholic ancestors did when the church was in crisis, and that is simply hold out of the old traditional faith, no matter what. Father, I believe this might uh, be uh, something akin to what you were just mentioning as far as the, the, the laws there. So this the same viewer provides a quote from Pope Boniface VIII, who says, It is absolutely necessary for the salvation of every human creature to be subject to the Roman pontiff. And that's fine. And that's true. <laughs> he doesn't get the point. Yeah. He's totally misses the point. It's, not, it's as though he's not even listening to what we're saying. We're saying is that there is a question about this, whether the man has the faith, mm -hmm. uh, whether the man is even a Catholic. Mm -hmm. That's the issue we're pointing out here. We're pointing out this man doesn't even believe in the papacy. How do we know that? He says so. He has rejected the Catholic papacy. Mm -hmm. He has told us what in his mind the papacy is, the new papacy has to be. It's not the Catholic papacy. We're saying this poses a problem because for a man to become the Pope, he has to formally accept the papacy. But we mean the real papacy, not as just he misunderstands it to be, but what it really is, as Christ created it. He doesn't want to discuss any of that, evidently. He just brushes all of that aside, as though it means nothing. You know? mm -hmm. So it has no, it has no consequence at all. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and he's willing to go to various uh, lesser questions that, that all beg these big questions. Everything he's saying here begs the big question. Mm -hmm. And the big question he doesn't want to hear about. Yeah. And this is why it's very, very difficult to even have a rational discussion with people like that because they they just don't get it, mm -hmm. really. They don't understand the significant parts of it. Uh, I mean, I'm trying to think of an analogy here. Um, um, well, for example, Mary Magdalene comes uh, running on Sun Easter Sunday morning as instructed to tell the apostles and Peter about the resurrection. And Peter and John are tempted to run up and run to the tomb, but then one turns to the other and says, gee, if that tomb's open, you know, there's a dead body in there, and we can't go in there. I mean, that's like violating the, the law, you know? So uh, we, we better not go near that place. You know? uh, and uh, so he's going to bring up the, the Jewish law that absolutely forbids, you know? Uh, even taking the shroud with the blood of Christ out of the tomb. Absolutely forbidden by Jewish law. Right. I mean, I'm sorry, but I see something really pharisaical in people like that. Mm -hmm. Father, I, I, I think we've mentioned this point before, but I, I think that it's that we can't emphasize it enough. But uh, the question, or there's a point that, that people will so often make when this topic comes up, is they'll say, how can you few traditionalist priests go against the literally billions of Catholics in the world that still follow the Pope? How can just you few tiny little fraction of traditional priests, how can you be right and these billions of Catholics be, be wrong? When in, in, in reality, uh, that's the exact wrong way to look at things. Really, we, we should be saying... Right. How can they how can, go against all of those centuries of saints exactly. and magisterial... Exactly, Tom. Yeah. You know, again, I see something pharisaical in this attitude. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. um, Exactly. How can they contradict all the centuries of Catholic teaching? Where do, how, what nerve do they have? What, you know, this is why St. Pius X says in cyclical, the chief characteristic of modernists is their, their, their pride and their audacity. 
their brash, brazen audacity in just basically spitting on Catholic tradition and despising it you know, mm-hmm. and saying, we have a better way. Like John the Twenty Third when he called the council, oh, we have a better way, the medicine yeah. of mercy now. Yeah. He's finally discovered it. Thank goodness. John the Twenty Third has finally discovered this. You know, it reminds me of Martin Luther. After all these years, he finally discovered what real Christianity was. And all those people have gotten all off the track for so long. But thank goodness Martin Luther finally understands what real Christianity is all about. Mm-hmm. You ask, well, where, where does this man get this, this brazenness that, yeah. that he thinks Martin, Dr. Luther has rediscovered the lost thread of Christianity? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is what the modernists do, though. The modernists are characterized by, by pride and audacity. St. Pius X says so in, in his encyclical. And you're right, you know, uh, when they say, how can just you a few traditional Catholics, clergy or not, how can you say that all the rest of them are wrong? Well, the point is, we're just saying that the church was right all those centuries. <laughs> and they're wrong for for uh, rejecting mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And then they come back and say, well, they haven't really rejected it. And they start doing the song and dance about how, well, you can, uh, the hermeneutic of continuity and so on. <laughs> and you realize, you know, you just have to stop them and say, look, they are contradicting the, the past teaching of the church. They've mm-hmm. come up with a new liturgy, uh, mass, the sacraments. They've reinvented everything, and um, they, they're starting. They're, they're talking as though the church started the Vatican II, basically. Oh, yeah. Occasionally, you know, they'll throw in a little quote from the past that sort of is ambiguous enough to suit their purposes for the moment. Yeah. But um, basically, basically speaking, they're, they're talking about. You know, their religion beginning at Vatican II. Definitely. And I think that that's so easy to see. Anytime Francis uh, speaks of any of his predecessors, it's only the post-Vatican II popes. I, I've never heard him reference any other popes. And I believe you've said this before, where if you if you go to a, a Novus Ordo church or, or seminary or school or anything mm-hmm. like that, the only thing you're going to see is these post-Vatican II popes. You'll never hear from any any popes, pre, any pre-Vatican II popes. You'll never see any pictures of them, any other teachings. In the local seminary all. here, when they went in, when the place was being closed down, mm-hmm. finally, you know, mm-hmm. uh, they found that all the portraits of all the other popes in the hallways have been stripped away. Yep. Long before, yep. only John the Twenty Third, and, and after that's all that, that, that's all that was represented there on the walls anymore. Yeah. And um, it's very clear; their message is very clear that their mm-hmm. church began with Vatican II. That's terrible, Father. Um, speaking of Francis, I believe you've answered this question before, so perhaps a, a brief reply will be sufficient here. But this question seems to be raised from time to time: uh, is concerning the the, pro- the prophecies of Saint Malachi, and mm-hmm. is Francis the last pope on Saint Malachi's lists? Of popes or not? People dispute the prophecies of St. Malachi. Malachi. I mean, they appeared, what, 500 years after um, St. Malachi died? Mm -hmm. And uh, something to that effect. And there are anti-popes included in the list. You have to include some anti-popes to make it turn out. Where, you know, say you you kind of match things up. So, um, you know, the church has never pronounced on these things. We don't have the the authority of the church guaranteeing them, certainly. Mm Uh, one can, you know, put a certain amount of credence in them, I guess. Um, but uh, it would be human faith, not divine faith, uh, calling upon one. And uh, one can look and try to match up and see, uh, you know, what they say uh, in Latin, how they're interpreted in, in, in English, and how they apply. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Um, it, it was said that after Pope Pius XII died, I think it was Pius XII, um, 
that guy, Cardinal, um, was it, um, um, sorry, well, one of the Cardinals, one of the American Cardinals, the terrible, um, read the prophecy of St. Malachi and found out that the, the prophecy for what he considered to be the next pope read pastor at Nauta, which means shepherd and sailor. Mm-hmm. And so uh, during the, uh, the conclave, supposedly, or before the conclave, he, w- he was found in a boat with sheep. Uh, tooling up and down the Tiber River. Um, I guess he was hoping to, to fill the bill there. I mean, you, you can really... I mean, this is a story they told about. I thought it might have been Cardinal Cushing or Cardinal Spalman or something like that. I don't know. Anyway, um, I think you can get carried away with these. Things. I really do. And um, so I, I don't really put a lot of stock in them, okay. honestly. I must admit, I mean, there's some things that... Um, yeah, they're interesting mm-hmm. coincidences. Or mm-hmm. Some would say not so, yeah. but I don't put a lot of stock in the uh, in the prognostications of Nostradamus either. Yeah. You know? And someone might be horrified, horrified to hear me mention that Nostradamus and Saint Malachi, or what allegedly is attributable to Saint Malachi. But um, I, I just think that such things can be used and abused mm-hmm. these days. So. Mm-hmm. Sure. I wouldn't uh, wouldn't count on it. Um, okay. I'll tell you. I mean, if there are those those who believe that he is, um, you know, could make the argument. Well, if if these post-Vatican II popes were no popes at all, then the cardinals they chose were not really cardinals. So they were elect when they were electing somebody, they're not really electing popes anyway. And so you run out. Uh, after uh, altogether, after a while of of real cardinals, real popes, and it mm-hmm. kind of grinds to a goes off the cliff. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, there, somebody who can make an argument like that, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And eventually, there will be a last pope. We know that's a fact. You know, yeah. the question is whether we should go by the prophecies in Malachi and apply them uh, somehow to the present situation. That's that's another question altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, the third secret of Fatima is involved in all of this yeah. too. And uh, there was a very interesting article I, I recently read, um, which I, I think we're going to talk about. Okay. It's uh, uh, kind of a Vaticanologist who is commenting on the third secret of Fatima and why it was not why it was not revealed mm-hmm. in 1960, mm-hmm. and uh, and what damage that has done to the church. Okay. Uh, uh, I'll have to bring that along and, and, okay. and show it to you, and I think that our listeners would be very interested yeah. in that, too. We have actually received questions uh, concerning the, the Third Secret of mm-hmm. Fatima. For, well, this is very revealing. Okay, we'll do so that. We'll do I'll, that. I'll bring that along. Father, I'd like to close with one with one final question. We've, we've been speaking mm-hmm. this whole program of the crisis in the church and how mm-hmm. it's a crisis of authority and all this, but mm-hmm. this question arises from time to time of, since we have this crisis of authority, how can it possibly be resolved? Well, now you're talking about divine power. That's what it would take, divine intervention? Oh, absolutely. But I mean, at every turn, the church's estate has depended upon divine intervention. Mm -hmm. Um, How many times has the church been through a state of crisis before? Not like this, perhaps. I realize that. I mean, St. Pius X himself said that in the modernist, the church was facing the worst, the most dangerous enemy she had ever faced. Mm -hmm. And he gave two reasons. He said, because they lay the axe to the root of faith itself. Yep. They destroy the very 
the very meaning of the virtue of faith in the soul. And, uh, and they, are, they themselves also are in the veins, in the bloodstream of the church, he said. They're inside the church doing their damage, yeah. where they can do the most damage. Um, so it's like, it's as though you have the worst poison in the worst place in the body. Um, so, I mean, when he says this, it's rather startling because you realize we've been up against uh, pagan uh, devil-worshipping emperors. Mm-hmm. We've been up against uh, marauding uh, socialists and communist mm-hmm. uh, dictators. We, we've faced everything. You know? yeah. uh, but this this is the most dangerous thing here. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, he, um, he also, again, as I say, he characterizes them by pride, audacity, and so on. So... It's a very virulent poison. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you look back at the history of the church, I mean, there are times when the church seemed to have been kind of painted in a corner or uh, turned into a, a dead end, you know. And uh, uh, like, for example, with the Great Western Schism, when, you know, the, the, the French cardinals rejected Urban VI, whom they had just elected, went to, back to France, to Avignon, and they elected someone else. No wonder people were so confused. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then they had ostensibly two popes. And then the, the Council of Pisa tried to, tried to remedy the situation by securing agreements from the two in Rome mm-hmm. and in Avignon. They would resign. They elected someone else, John, and then the other two did not resign. Yeah. And suddenly you had three claiming the papacy. Of course, you couldn't. There was only one yeah. at most. But... Uh, but this is what it appeared. It was extremely confusing. How would you reconcile? How would you remedy a problem so grave as that? Only God. Only God, by his divine power, could remedy that. Mm-hmm. And it was the result. God gave the grace as a result of prayers and the sacrifices of the, of the faithful people. Okay. Priests, lay people, and so on. Mm-hmm. But notice that never did they change the faith over that. Nobody declared new dogmas that would change the faith. They didn't change the mass. They didn't change the sacraments. Even in times of chaos like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and before that, you had the Babylonian captivity of the church for 70-some years. St. Catherine of Siena, whose feast day we just celebrated, was principal, a principal in that. And, uh, you know, the, the popes had, had actually relocated, had left Rome, and had set up... Uh, uh, the Vatican in exile in uh, in Avignon took the papal court with him and everything, lock, stock, and barrel. Mm-hmm. And that's for two generations. Rome had descended into uh, basically a, a, a cesspool of vice, a, 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 a city basically inhabited by warring tribes of Italian nobility. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a horrible place. Yeah. And um, how, how could that be solved? Well, saints, you need saints. You need saints with clear vision um, and, uh, and invincible fidelity to the faith, mm-hmm. to Christ, to the church. And that's what we need today. Mm-hmm. God and God alone can give those saints. Okay. So we, just, we have to pray and pray and pray. You know, it's at the point right now where I personally can't conceive of how this is all going to work out okay. because it's a supernatural solution. Okay. Um, but I'm sure those living in the time of uh, Urban the Sixth and his successors, those living in the time of, of times of Boniface, mm-hmm. 
the eighth and his successors, Clement the and so on, Clement the fifth. I'm sure that they couldn't figure out how this was going to be resolved either. That was actually going to be my next question of Father, uh, drawing on your your decades of, of priestly wisdom. Could you postulate some kind of hypothesis of of what this could conceivably look like? Is there any particular scenarios that you could imagine? Like, for example, could there be could could there be some kind of uh, across the board conversion of all the cardinals? Could there be some kind of uh, manifest miracle happen, something like that. What what could this possibly could there look be? Like? It could be whatever God gives the efficacious grace to do. Okay. God would have to give the efficacious grace to overcome all obstacles, mm-hmm. and uh, to uh, provide the leadership mm-hmm. uh, to the church. Whatever. I mean, a, a, a startling conversion, right? Yeah. Um, I think it will definitely have to involve a certain conversion. Sure, several. Yes, <laughs> at least. But um, but you know, we have we can't simply rule out the possibility, though, too, that this is um, when we're going to encounter the great uh, chastisement. Mm-hmm. People have talked about it for a long time, now. right? And. Um, the uh, the article I was telling you about, mm-hmm. the article concerning the Third Secret of Fatima, uh, does accept that what was released by the Vatican back in 2001, mm-hmm. whatever it was, is, it, is part of the Third Secret. Right. It's right. Not the whole Third Secret, but part of it. And it is foretelling massive destruction. In fact, the article, and I, I forget the name of the gentleman, Mikado, uh, I forget I forget his last name, he's Italian, I'll, I'll get that information for future reference. Mm-hmm. But he's saying that basically John XXIII decided not to release the secret, sure. because it was a doom and gloom secret, and it portrayed the world as attacking the church, and he, he wanted the, to have a kind of um, uh, openness of the church to the world. He wanted uh, the church to show itself the great buddy of the world, and uh, even the disciple of the world. You know, like we're, we're all we're all friends. There's, there's really no genuine opposition between us. Wants the world and the church to go arm in arm down the aisle together. Uh, that's what the modernists did. That's what this one author had to say. He said it's clear to see that, that they de- determined not to release the secret because it was against their entire idea of rapprochement, of, of making friends with the world, making friends even with the communists, yeah. the, the Ostpolitik, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, the openness, the, the, the warm embrace of the church, that we're all one big happy family now. Yeah. Totally against this idea of uh, the world rising up and, and, and butchering the faithful mm-hmm. and murdering the, the clergy yeah. and all the rest. And uh, this author says this is what has done such great damage uh, in refusing to acknowledge what Our Lady has said, mm-hmm. speaking from heaven, for heaven, yeah. here on earth. Yeah. And uh, you have to, I mean, I think one would have to reason, really honestly admit that uh, the Vatican II approach and everything since then has been just diametrically opposed to the message of Fatima. Mm-hmm. It's the French Revolution, like you said, this, this brotherhood, it's, it's like the liberty, equality, that's, fraternity. That's what Cardinal Ratzinger said. Yeah. Ratzinger himself, who became Benedict XVI, said that Vatican II was the French Revolution in the Church. Yep. He said it. And they welcomed it. 
And they welcomed it, so... Um, and now they're going to fix the words of Our Lady, and... <laughs> uh, well, I'll tell you, if they'll, if they'll amend the words of consecration at the Mass yeah. uh, to suit their purposes and their agenda, yeah, they wouldn't mind monkeying with uh, the words of Our Lady of Fatima or anything else. Nothing is sacred to them, right. except what they say. Yep. Like liberals, yep. like leftists. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but um, the the moral of the story is, uh, through all of this, bombs bursting in air, rockets red glare, and all the rest, we just have to keep um, marching forward. I use the word marching because it is the church militant. Yeah. And um, we have to keep on the on the track on the on the track of the faith mm -hmm. that that our Lord has given us. The Church in the past has always insisted the Catholic people keep to, mm -hmm. and not be tempted to follow the modernos off here or off there, mm -hmm. um, because of some delusion, um, such as was alluded to here, mm -hmm. saying, "Well, you know, you." you even if even if somebody is chosen to be the leader who intends to destroy the church, the faith, the faithful, mm -hmm. uh, you still have to follow them anyway, and you still have to go along with them, and you can't oppose them. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, but I think that is uh, well. I know I know that is wrong. Yeah, that is not what the church has taught us. Yeah, yeah. and Father, we we just celebrated the the feast of the resurrection and Easter, and we know that. The, the life of the church will mirror the life of Christ. So, and it would, it would uh, appear that the church is in her passion right now, mirroring the life of Christ. But as we just celebrated this Feast of the Resurrection, we know that just as Christ rose from the dead, the church also will rise from mm -hmm. the dead. And just like the apostles, we don't know how this can possibly be, but we know that it will be, it will happen because our Lord said it would happen. Well, Tom, I mean, we should take great confidence from our Lord's words mm -hmm. and our Lord's example, all too true. Also true, but even the enemies of the church realize what you're saying is true. Right. I mean, we quoted uh, Nubius, who wrote the permanent instruction of the yeah. Alta and and he referring back to Voltaire, yeah. saying that the goal has to be to destroy the very memory mm -hmm. of Christ and Christianity. Yeah. He says because if you allow both of them said mm -hmm. uh, if you allow even the memory of Christ and Christianity to remain. In the minds of mankind, the church will herself rise from the dead. That's the power that the enemy ascribes to Christ yep. in the church. Yep. Um, and that is, uh, that is exactly what they're trying to do. They're trying to destroy all memory, to, uh, to erase the memory of mankind, mm -hmm. of, uh, of the true Catholic church. Yep. And uh, by the grace of God, we, we still hold that dear. More dear than more dearly than life, and we we have to prove true to it now and faithful to it. Mm -hmm. Well, Father, this has been a, a fascinating program. I think it shows that we have a lot of a lot of work to do. But I think uh, I think that you've offered a lot of good a lot of good advice tonight that will set us on the right track. So I'd like to, to well, thank you. Well, Tom, you're welcome. Thank you too. And I, I thank the writers here. I hope it wasn't too hard on the one writer because, <laughs> um, you know, I understand times are confusing and it's kind of hard to work work your way through these things. Sure. So I don't mean to impute the good intentions of the individual, mm -hmm. any more than I presume to judge the <laughs> intentions of Francis, mm -hmm. except insofar as he tells us what they are. <laughs> right? uh, but uh, when people do write and send in questions, I do remember them in my prayers. That's and great. Uh, I ask them to remember us in their prayers too. Mm -hmm.
Perfect. Wow. Thank you for being here tonight, Father. I really appreciate that. Thanks to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady of Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you and God bless you.